Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello everyone and welcome in to this latest Matchday Recap podcast from La Liga Lowdown, also rebroadcast on Series XMFC 157. I'm your host, Jim McTeer, and we're about to go over all the main storylines and talking points from Matchday 20 of the La Liga season. We're past the halfway point now, we're into the business end of the season, and that makes every point all that more precious. Real Madrid were certainly in need of points coming into this weekend, so it was probably quite daunting that they had to go away to continue celebrating Alaves, and that they were without Sergio Ramos, Fede Valverde, Nacho, Danny Carvalho, Rodrigo and Zinedine Zidane. The coach had tested positive for COVID-19, and his longtime friend and assistant coach David Batoni had to take charge of the expedition. Not ideal, but Real Madrid were able to respond after some recent setbacks, and they won this one 4-1, with goals from Gasimiro, Benzema and Hazard, putting them 3-0 up at half-time. Former Real Madrid man Jose Lu pulled one back, but Benzema was able to add another for his fourth brace of the season. Real Madrid were just really good. Modric, Benzema and Hazard especially. We're going to analyse this game now with Real Madrid journalist Emily Wilson. I guess firstly, Emily, what were your thoughts on Zidane's absence coming into this game? I don't think not having Zidane on the sidelines was actually a big change necessarily for Real Madrid. You know, he's a manager that's always going to stay in the squad's minds, whether he's right beside them, across the pitch from them, or watching at home. Um, But Tony, though, as the assistant stepping in, you know, he had a lot of responsibility there. We all know Zidane was on the phone, but at the same time, he's the one in charge in the moment. And I think he did good managing the game. But just for the squad mentality, I would have to say it would be just a slight change for them, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Zidane isn't exactly the most active touchline coach in the world. So even without him there, Real Madrid went ahead and won 4-1. One One of their best performances of the season. What were the keys to the victory? Yeah, you know, a 4-1 win is actually pretty good for Real Madrid, especially in their recent matches. So I think the turning point here was when the senior players actually showed the quality that they have opening couple minutes there was almost a huge error from Casemiro but after that Real Madrid pretty much held their own and the senior players like I said they just showed their quality you know Benzema, Modric, Casemiro, 
uh, Tony Cruz and, and then some all showing their class and really stepped up to the challenge. And that's what helped them be up 3-0 at halftime. And it just dropped off a little bit in the second half, but Benzema managed to get the second one. So overall, I think it was a strong performance from the players um, when Zidane needed it the most. Yeah, Benzema was good and Hazard too, I thought. Do you think they can eventually form like a top-class strike partnership or are the concerns over Hazard's fitness just too great? I'm personally not too convinced that Hazard and Benzema will be able to work out up top. I think that they play similar styles, but they also have a few key differences. Um, You know, Eden Hazard, he likes to be tricky um, against his defenders and show kind of the skills that he has. So sometimes his decision making for me is a little bit questionable, whereas Benzema is a little bit of the opposite usually plays more simply, um, not to say any lesser than Hazard, though. Um, It's just, in my opinion, the decision-making skills from Benzema is slightly different than Hazard, so it can kind of conflict and contradict each other. In regards to Hazard's fitness, though, I think he's been doing well in the recent games that he's played. We haven't seen him play this many matches in a row in a long time, so to be able to see his improvement is good. I think in the future, though, he needs to be given a real test. So playing a full match will be an indicator on how fit he actually is rather than being subbed off after 60 or 70 minutes. One negative, if I have to be negative, was Edomili Tao, who lost Hosolu for the Alaves goal. It's not the first time he's been caught out this season, and considering the fact that he costs 50 million euros, he surely should be performing better than this, right? Especially if he's supposed to be the future. Militao is a player who has a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Um, Like you said, he cost 50 million euros when he came to the club and a lot of people right from the start labeled him as, you know, the replacement for Sergio Ramos. And in recent matches, that's exactly the role that he's had to play. When Ramos is out, um, it's either Nacho or Militao stepping into position, but the Brazilian in some of the bigger games as well, like, like against Shakhtar last year at Man City, um, as well as the most recent match here against Alaves, he had to replace the captain. And that's a big task, um, no matter how much you cost, per se. I thought in the beginning his performance was actually fairly strong. Um, he was more interactive in his defensive duties than Varane was when you look at the statistics of it. But I think the one thing he needs to work on individually is just how physical he is with players. Um, Not to say it's necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes it can cause problems. And that's like what we saw in the situation that led up to the Alaves free kick. Eventually, he had to defend in the box as well from the mistake that he made. And he absolutely should have done better. The free kick was kind of a light call, in my opinion, but the defending, without a doubt, you have to be able to mark your man and not let him get a bullet of a header like he did past Courtois. Yeah, like I say, just the one negative, I think, from that game. A little bit of nitpicking, but we'll see if Ramos can make it back into the side soon. The same goes for Zidane, who should also miss next weekend's game against Levante. Anyway, thanks, Emily, for that. We're going to round off part one of the podcast now by discussing another of Saturday's games that took place in the Basque Country, this time with Real Sociedad. They were absolutely cruising against Real Betis and were on course for what would have been just their second win in 10 La Liga games, but it didn't quite turn out that way. Andrew Miller is going to explain exactly what happened now in this week's sore throat game of the week segment. Over to you, Andrew. 
Coming into this game with plenty on the line, both teams had a real point to prove. Imanol's Real Sociedad side had taken only two wins from their previous 10 games after a flying start to the season, and Manuel Pellegrini was looking to strengthen his chances of a top 10 finish, coming off three wins in his last five games after yet another rocky and inconsistent first half of the campaign for Betis. This was an emphatically close game right from the get-go in Anueta. Betis really looked to exploit their pace and technical ability down the right flank early on, with young Diego Lainez, Emerson and Nabil Fakir beginning to strike up a nice little three-man partnership on the edge of the opposition box. Larial were quick to neutralise any Betis threat in their own danger areas, with Robin Lenormand and Igor Zubeldia putting in a dominant defensive display and heading into half-time all-level at 0-0. A scoreline that both managers would likely have been pleased with given the end-to-end nature of the opening 45 minutes. Just a few minutes after re-emerging from the tunnel full of confidence, La Real fired themselves into the lead as captain Mikel Ursabal cut a dangerous ball across the box for John Garidi to tap straight to the feet of an incoming Alexander Isak, and despite Joel Robles' astounding first half and getting both hands on the ball, the Betis goalkeeper wasn't able to keep the Andalusians from falling behind. And it didn't take too long for the crafty Swedish international to pop up once again. Not even 10 minutes after scoring the go-ahead goal, Isak struck again. This time, returning the favour with an impeccably weighted through ball forward to Oyer Sabal, who read the movement of Robles inside the box and chipped the keeper to put the game just out of reach for the visitors. Or so we thought. In the 78th minute, Manuel Pellegrini, as so many managers have done in the past, looked to his captain for an injection of energy, and, in true Joaquin fashion, that's exactly what the 39-year-old gave him. A darting run down the right wing and a quick-fire cross into the box for Sergio Canales to head it past Alex Romero and into Lariel's net gave Betis a lifeline late in the 85th minute. El remate abajo, gol del Betis! Asistencia de Joaquín, remate de cabeza de Canales, cinco para el final en Anoveta, a corta distancias Canales de cabeza, hay partido, Real Sociedad 2, Betis 1. Betis weren't quite done there however, the smell of blood was in the water and the sharks had started to circle. A great bit of skill from Christian Teo out in the left flank and a burst of pace into the box opened up one final chance for Betis to take something away from the game. And after getting the best of a slightly less mobile Martin Zubimendi, Teo tapped the ball with the outside of his foot straight across the face of goal to who else? But Joaquin, waiting in the shadows. The Betis captain, with a slightly clumsy-looking left-footed shot, struck the ball home to equalise right at the death. And as you'll hear from the copy radio commentators here, it was quite a spectacular moment. As the commentator said, Real Sociedad had been playing with fire and they ended up getting burnt. Yeah, amazing drama there. Real Sociedad certainly threw that victory away. Real Betis snatched it from them. Really incredible late drama and if you enjoyed that, then there's good news because those two teams go at it again in the Copa del Rey this Tuesday night. So that brings us to the end of part one of this episode. 
But don't go anywhere because we've got to analyse Atletico Madrid and Barcelona's wins, uh, Real Vide Leeds' resilience and Yusuf Enesivi's brilliance. That's all coming up after this short pause. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello everyone and welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. It's time to talk about the league leaders Atletico Madrid, who put another three points on the board by coming from behind to defeat Valencia 3-1. Goros Rashid scored a brilliant goal, a really brilliant one, to put Valencia ahead, but draft leagues Luis Suarez and Angel Correa made sure that the final score was 3-1. Paco Pollock was covering the game live and joins us now to talk about it. First thing Paco, Valencia's goal was spectacular. Can you describe it to everyone listening? Possibly one of the best five goals we've seen this year so far. It was one of those Jose Luis Gallas usual runs in the wing, trying to find a space diagonally to squeeze the ball inside Atleti's defense. Carlos Soler made a run for the box, with Joao Felix following closely and leaving wide open Euros Rasic just over the 25-meter mark from All Black's goal. Gaia passed the ball back, Rasic armed his left foot and fired with an absolute rocket, which curled right past the keeper and into the top right corner. An absolute beauty of a strike for a goal which left Atletico stunned for quite a few minutes as it was only the eighth one against them this whole season in La Liga. Just for a few minutes though because Atletico are just too good. What impressed you the most about them? I guess many people would talk about their defensive expertise, the quality of their players or just how clinically accurate guys like Luis Suarez have been this season so far. But in my case, I will go with the same thing which marveled me back in the day in November when Valencia and Atleti clashed heads for the first time in La Liga. Just how ridiculously deep their bench is. 
Back then, their second-half subs were crucial for their narrow 1-0 win at Mestalla. This time, the scoreline was even greater, thanks to how refreshed the team was after subbing in Renal Lodi, Condogbia, Correa and Lucas Torreira. All four of those players would be 100% starters for Valencia. In fact, Condogbia had played more minutes for Valencia in just a handful of games at the beginning of the season than for the whole first half of La Liga wearing a Leti shirt. Such a deep, versatile team, in my view, will be absolutely unstoppable and win the league this season if their performance doesn't dip dramatically over the next couple of months. Luis Suarez got another goal. Could he be Pachichi again like he was back in 2015-16? Well, he's well en route to achieve it, or at least to give Lionel Messi a run for his money. Leaving Enesiri aside, who is having a great scoring run currently, I actually think Suarez is the only one who could beat Messi to the punch in a 38-game competition. His speed might not be the fastest, his physical state might not be the best, but the killer instinct which Suarez displays whenever he sets foot inside the box is unrivaled. The way he positioned his body and finished to the bottom corner of the post was classy, was very smooth and another example that letting him go was one of Barca's most regrettable mistakes and an absolute blessing for both Simeone and Atletico de Madrid. Thanks Paco. The big three in La Liga all won this weekend because Barcelona won as well. They got a 2-0 win away at Elche with Frankie de Jong and Ricky Puch getting the goals. Pucci's goal was a header actually, which was quite something considering he's the smallest player on most pitches he walks onto. For De Jong, this was his fourth goal. He was asked why it is that he's scoring more these days, and this is what he said. Yeah, we need to see for a longer period, but uh, I think we changed a bit. I'm playing a bit more forward than, than normal, and because of this I can be more in front of the goal than, than in the past. And here's what Ronald Koeman had to say about De Jong's scoring involvement. Every team needs uh, players who are coming in the, in the box of the, the opponent. And uh, we, we know we have the three strikers, but, but that's not enough. It's enough to create chances to score goals. You need midfielders coming in the box uh, as well. And uh, he's doing really well. He's, he's giving the team really more more quality if he's reaching uh, also in the box of the the opponent and then doing assists and, and scoring goals that's that's what we need what he needs but that's the development of the player that's really going really fast moving on now let's talk about one of the most informed players in all of la liga paco mentioned him already earlier it's yusuf in the series his latest trick was to score all three goals in Sevilla's 3-0 win over Cadiz. that's his second hat trick this month he also got one against Real Sociedad. Seville base Gregor Chappell joins us now. In the series, he's been at Sevilla for a year now, Gregor, and after a fairly slow start, he's just absolutely exploded in these past few weeks. How surprised by this have you been? I mean, I have to be honest and hold my hands up here on this one and say that I was one of his biggest doubters when he came to the club. I always felt that the centre-forward position was where Sevilla needed to strengthen most. And it was kind of like the last piece of the puzzle they needed to really make them what you could consider a really good side. And when in the series first came in, we all knew how well he'd done at Leganes. But you always need to see if these players can do it at a bigger club with better players when they're not the main man anymore. And at first, he wasn't really doing it for me. 
like you said. I just wasn't seeing enough to suggest he turned it round either, but to go from where he was then to what he's doing now is something I really never expected, and I'm very pleasantly surprised. What did he put it down to? How did he just suddenly become so clinical? Well, he just seems to have found an extra gear. I mean, I, like I said, I was quite critical of him um, when he first moved last year. But one thing you can say is that he would always get himself in the right positions. He would always be working his socks off for the team. What, But what he was lacking back then was a finish. I mean, he just seemed so raw and a bit clumsy and, you know, he's very tall and he'd just have kind of legs everywhere. He's very gangly, a bit kind of all over the place. And I don't know if that was a lack of confidence or just him taking time to settle in at a new club which is understandable because that happens quite often with a striker in particular but what I think has changed are his confidence levels any striker will tell you that when your confidence is low and you're in a rut you just can't find the net no matter what you do and the longer it goes on the worse it gets he seems to be playing with so much self-belief at the moment and it's really making a difference because he looks so sharp as well I mean he just has that awareness to pounce on a loose ball in the box like any good striker does. And also, I mean, we can't forget that playing with a great coach like Lopetegui will be really helping him to develop as well. And I'm sure they're working on his finishing and training. It's been paying its dividends recently and you can definitely see that in how he's playing and the confidence that he has at this moment. I guess it helps when you play in a well-oiled machine like Sevilla. How good are they right now? Oh yeah, you're right. I mean, after a kind of up and down start to the season, they finally seem to be getting back to that fluid, free-flowing football that we loved to watch last season under Lopetegui. And for me, this match against Cadiz is the best I can remember them playing for a long time. In recent weeks, they've been playing at a much faster pace, and that suits this team's style. It suits Lopetegui's style. That really benefits in the city to have players around them doing well feeding them the ball, creating things for them. And, you know, if any striker wants to hit the heights, they need the players around them to be doing that. And it's all just kind of clicking for them at the moment. And the stats are proof of that. We can all see that. And it looks like they'll bring in Papu Gomez too. What do you make of that signing? You said you weren't too convinced like many of us by the end of Serie 1 last January. What about this one? I mean, well, I think he would slot in perfectly to this team. He's a typical number 10, creative, good on the ball, and he's the kind of player that Sevilla have really like struggled to replace since Eber Benega left last season. He finished last season in Serie A with the most assists in the league, so that says a lot. He captained a very good attacking Atalanta side, and he's been capped for Argentina, so he's obviously got quite a bit of pedigree. He's got a lot of ability. He's great on the ball, he's two-footed, he can obviously thread the ball for an assist, and he gets in amongst the goals as well. I think he's at a good age, and we just need to hope that if he signs, he can bed in quickly to the side and start to link up within the series, and that can be a really good partnership for Sibia going forward towards the end of the season, where they can hopefully push to finish top two, top three. You never know. Yep, you sure don't. Okay, thanks, Gregor. We're going to bring you some even more Scottish-accented analysis now as we turn to Martin Devlin. He's the man behind the Pusella Escoffia Real Vide League fan page. And I wanted to speak to Martin this week because I've been pleasantly surprised by Real Vide League in their past couple of games. Even though they've been missing 11 players for each of their past two matches, they've been able to secure two 2-2 draws 
one of them against Ilchi, and then another against Levante on Friday night. So Martin, how impressive is it that they got a couple of draws with all of these absences? Impressive is one word to use here, but it's important to look closely at the bigger picture to consider the context of these results. Now, every team in the world goes through spells where they have a lengthy list of players unavailable for a match, and this is invariably used as an excuse for a poor performance or a bad result. However, when you could make an entire starting lineup, except for the goalkeeper, out of injured and unavailable players, it is somewhat impressive that Real Valladolid put together two consecutive draws against tricky opposition, especially with some patchy form of their own lately. Coming into this match against Levante, five out of the 11 missing players were defenders. Now this puts an incredible amount of pressure on the remaining players, and I think they performed well given the circumstances, although it is arguable that there was enough quality left over to make it quite shocking to fall behind 2-0 to Elche at home, given that they were in freefall and without a win in the league since beating Valencia in October. Only a strong second half saved quite an embarrassing defeat. In more favourable respects, you might say that a 2-2 draw against Levante is actually a good result, even surrendering the equaliser late on in the match. Real Valladolid don't have a good record at the Ciutat de Valencia Stadium, winning just once in 11 visits in all competitions, and that was back in April 2008. So, to come away with a point and a good performance with such a depleted squad is definitely to be applauded. Yeah, I'm definitely applauding. So, what does it say about this squad? What have you learned from these past couple of Real Valladolid games? I think it speaks volumes about the tenacity of the season's playing squad, operating within a system and a coaching ethos that preaches caution and restraint at every turn. Sergio seems committed to a tentative approach, preferring to avoid defeat rather than go out and win matches. Now that's frustrating for fans as there's obvious quality among the squad, but they seem to be working on a very short leash and supporters are often left wondering what might have been had the manager just thrown caution to the wind and taken the game to their opponents. There are two clear schools of thought here, one that suggests Sergio has done well to consolidate the team's position in the top flight over the last couple of seasons with a relatively limited resource, while others feel that he is the one who shackled the team with this timid approach and that living within the bottom reaches of the table is far less than the squad's capable of. It took some time for the squad to gel with several new arrivals, but it seems to be bearing fruit even in the face of adversity. Now, I'm a glass-half-full kind of guy when it comes to my team, so one positive to come from the long list of absences is the rapid progression of young players from the B-team, Real Valladolid Promesas, into the first-team ranks. Players like Kuki Thalathar, Oriol Rey and Ignasi Villarasa have become regulars in the matchday squads and this experience will hopefully speed up their development. In fact, against Levante, a match where Sergio was only able to name seven outfield substitutes, five of them were Promesas players. Yeah, that's got to be exciting for fans. Always nice to see academy players come through. Breaking down the Levante game a bit more, just how much more fun was the second half than the first half? To borrow an old football cliche, it really was a game of two halves. I had high hopes for an entertaining spectacle, especially when Levante had their first shot and goal after just 25 seconds and then a claim for a penalty in the fourth minute. It looked like it was going to be a very open match. However, things seemed to clam up for about half an hour after that as both sides laboured to create any real chances of significance. In the second half, things picked up and the game really came alive with half an hour left. We were treated to four goals in that span as well as some moments of high quality play. All of the goals were very well taken and it was a joy to watch. I came away with mixed emotions though. Feeling disappointed that Real Valladolid had not managed to claim all three points, but very much impressed with the display from both sides. It was a good advert for La Liga football, 
Not overly showy, but just a great contest. I am, however, becoming slightly wary of Levante in the 83rd minute of matches. Three out of the last four contests between the sides have seen them score in the 83rd minute and rescued a point for Los Granota on two of those occasions. Now, given that the teams meet again in midweek in the Copa del Rey, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. That's right. Just like Betis and Real Sociedad, this match will be repeated in the next round of the Cup. Now, in general, Real Valladolid's games have produced so many more goals this season than last season. Their games are producing 2.45 goals this season. It was 1.97, which is the lowest in La Liga last year. What's changed? I think there was a recognition and an acceptance that Real Valladolid had been so bereft of scoring opportunities since their return to Primera that a real emphasis was put on addressing this in the transfer window. They had the lowest goal scored tally of any club in the league which wasn't relegated, with 32. Before last season concluded, Real Valladolid were able to announce that Fabian Oriana would be joining from Abar in the hopes that he could continue to unlock defences and aid the strikers, but he hasn't managed to find that same form so far, which has definitely been disappointing. The emergence of Marcos André has certainly helped. He spent last season on loan at Mirandes in Segunda, but returned to the club this summer and took advantage of the departure of Enes Unal and a below-par Sergio Guardiola to stake his claim for a regular starting spot with three goals prior to being injured. After a slow start, Sean Weissman, their premier signing of the summer window, also has three goals, but his energy seems to open up opportunities for other players. Oscar Plano is enjoying somewhat of a resurgence after a quiet campaign in 2019-20, and he's scored twice, but has also provided four assists. This means the goals have been spread around the team more. Thirteen different players have found the net for Pozella this season, compared with nine after 20 league matches last season, and they're also three goals ahead of last year's haul at this point. Adjusting the formation has also helped as well, in my opinion. Last season, there were perhaps four matches in total where Real Valladolid played anything other than 4-4-2 with Guardiola and Unal up front, but this time round, Sergio seems to be alternating between that and 4-2-3-1 to accommodate players like Jota, who's on loan from Benfica. And lastly, but maybe just as importantly, with a less than reliable defence, it has implored Real Valladolid to be more proactive going forward. All of these things will have contributed to an upward trend in the goal-scoring stakes. Well, thanks for that, Martin. Moving on to some other matches now. There were some other good results for teams down near the bottom. Osasuna were able to get back to winning ways this weekend. They won 3-1 against Granada. That ended a 13-match winless run in La Liga. It was the first victory since October. And Andy Budimir was the man behind it, scoring the first two of their goals. There were no goals in Huesca versus Villarreal, but that meant it was a good result for Huesca, a much-needed one. Still not a win but it means our new coach Pacheta has something positive on the board already in just his second game. Remember, the one before that was a narrow loss to Hitafi in which they performed quite well. It also means that both the Huesca and Villarreal meetings this season have finished as draws. That might be something that Unai Emery's men come to regret at the end of the season. Then we had a 1-1 draw between Celta Vigo and Ibar in Galicia. It wasn't Marco Dimitrich scoring for Ibar this time, no. It was Brian Heal firing in the equaliser after Braze Mendes had opened the scoring. All of that movement near the bottom means that Huesca stay in the relegation zone. They're now joined in the bottom three by Elche and by Alaves. Not a great birthday weekend then for Alaves. So that brings us to the end of this episode of La Liga Lowdown. There's still Athletic Club versus Hitafi to come on Monday night to round off the match day. We'll be covering that, of course, on our La Liga Lowdown Twitter account. But for now, my thanks go to Emily Wilson, 
Andrew Miller, Paco Pollitt, Gregor Chappelle and Martin Devlin for their contributions to this one. I've been your host, Jim McTeer, and we'll be back very soon. For now, thanks for listening to this episode. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.